what even wrong in this situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beat for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb pro armor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. Most sports fans remember the likes of Jack Kent Cook, the longtime owner of the then Washington Redskins, obviously known now as the Washington Commanders. He also owned the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Kings in basketball and hockey at one point. What a lot of people may not know is he actually was the inspiration for Sparky Anderson to become a Major League Baseball manager. Um, Anderson had played for the Toronto Maple Leafs of the Continental Baseball League in the uh, late part of the 1950s, early part of the 1960s. And at that point, the Continental Baseball League was a competitive league, was basically competing against the American and National League. It folded after a very brief time frame, but at that point, uh, Jack Kent Cook was one of the owners of the Toronto team, and he saw Sparky Anderson as a utility infielder. His leadership skills, everything that he exemplified as a player, said, hey, you would make a great manager. And he um, hired him for the Toronto Maple Leafs manager job in, I think it was, one of the other leagues after the Continental League had folded. And obviously Sparky Anderson ends up getting a job with the Reds, leads the Reds to a couple World Series championships, another one with the Tigers, and he is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I want to talk about an obsession that fans have with a baseball. And it might not seem like much. You know, we go to a game, and, you know, I think you could throw in all the different uh, issues that fans have when they come to a baseball game. Because, <clears throat> you know, your average baseball experience is not what it used to be. It costs a lot of money, obviously. The tickets... You could probably get cheap tickets if you if you negotiate that correctly. If you use StubHub and SeatGeek, um, a lot of people are looking to dump their tickets for below the price of the seat. So, you know, if you find a midweek game or something, and money is really an issue to you, there are ways to make sure that you get to a baseball game to see your favorite team, time or two a year. Doesn't have to be all the time. You, you're not gonna, you know, season tickets obviously are, are, are very expensive. You, know, you don't want to really do that unless you unless you really have the money to do it. But for that average that average fan that does not have the the finances to be able to take their family to four for a baseball game, there are ways to get to uh, you know to get to a baseball game. And I, I apologize, I'm battling a little bit of a cold here. Uh, my issue is not with that experience because I understand that a fan wants to get to a baseball game. A fan wants to do, um, you know, they, you want to get everything you can out of it. You want to take your kids, hopefully, to see some batting practice, um, maybe get a chance to meet a kid, uh, player, maybe get an autograph, different things that you, you, you don't get to do when you're watching a game from television. So, you know, as, as you're following this, as you're, you're going to the game, yeah, you start to think of, hey, what can I bring home as mementos? Obviously, everybody's got a phone now. You don't need to have a home. You could be homeless, but yeah, you could have a phone. So you use your little phone. You take some pictures. 
um, whatever type of experience you have at the baseball game, obviously you get to share it with um, you, you know, your, your family, you post it on social media that you're there. But there is this big obsession that it comes with a baseball, a foul ball, a home run ball, a batting practice baseball, this little round thing with 108 stitches in it that there's this obsession with that baseball fans have. And I, I don't really understand it. And maybe I'm doing something crazy. Maybe I'm not getting the message. The message, you know, to me is just this over-obsession with a baseball. And you got guys out there that are collecting them. I, I get it. You know, you want to have a 1,000 baseballs, whoop de doo You want to make sure a kid at a baseball game gets a ball, all right. But what do you see? You see fans wrestling with each other, fighting each other, trying to get this baseball. You got fans over a certain age. Let's say you're you're 25 years old and you grab a foul ball in the stands and then there's a bunch of people that are going to mock you and say that you should give the ball to the little kid that's there. Why? Why should anybody that catches a foul ball have to give it to somebody else? But the bigger question is what is the obsession with the foul balls that are out there? Why is it such a big deal to have a baseball? Like I said, it's a great souvenir. If you could catch it, I've been to hundreds of games over the course of my life, and I've caught one in an active major league game. Doesn't count any of the ones that are tossed to me as a kid in batting practice. Doesn't count the balls that are tossed into the stands during spring training games. I mean, if you want a baseball, that's probably the place to go to to, to catch one. You want to you want to get a baseball. That obsession is to have a, a, a baseball from a baseball game. Then yes, you should go to spring training where you'll probably end up with one, or a minor league game. You know, there's not that many people in a minor league stadium. You know, go to a, a class A game where there's a thousand people there, fifteen hundred people there. You'll probably get a foul ball or two. But I don't understand it. I don't understand the obsession that exists with foul balls. You really want to bring one home that bad. And then there's that, like I said, there's that that etiquette that people feel like you have to. Hey, if you're over a certain age, you, first of all, if I catch a ball on the fly myself, I don't, I don't care if the entire friggin' Holbrook Little League is sitting next to me. I'm not giving up that ball. If I catch a ball with my bare hand from the air, then it's mine. And if you don't like it, I'll leave with the ball. But the... You know, the age that we live in, when we're talking about uh, consistent, uh, I guess, the anti-bullying generation, it doesn't seem to apply to a, a Major League Baseball stadium. If you're over a certain age, you're expected to and told to give a kid a ball. And then that's the same message that's sent out to little kids where they grow this crazy obsession with a baseball. It's not even with the game anymore. Everybody's on their phone. Nobody's paying attention to the action until the ball comes their way. And then there's this big ruckus over who's going to get this baseball. The obsession with the baseball is disgusting. It's something that I, I, I can't explain. And like I said, I'm not better than anybody else when I'm at a baseball game. If I catch a baseball here, you can have it. I really don't give a shit. But think about it, 90-95% of the fans that come to an average Major League Baseball game could care less about anything else but the baseball. Oh my God, i got to get the baseball. What am I going to do with the baseball? 
And you know what? If they can't get the baseball, they're going to bully the person that got the baseball and make them give it to a kid. That's number one. Yeah, I spoke last time when I was on about Baker Mayfield likely to stay in Cleveland. And something ended up working his way. And the reason that he is in Carolina was basically based off of the same reason that I was talking about that he may end up staying in Cleveland. You know, teams got to get together. They got to get their mini camps together. They got to install their offense. They have to get the, the players that they need to run their offense. Baker Mayfield isn't showing up in week two and learning whether it's Carolina or any other team's offense. It, it was understood that if Baker was going to be traded, it was going to be pretty soon because the team that ends up acquiring him is going to need some time to work with Baker, show him their offense, and uh, you know, basically treat him like he's going to be the starting quarterback there. You can't be the starting quarterback somewhere and just you know come in there off a of plane and on-the-fly start. And I think the main reason is the lack of an agreement to a new rookie contract for Matt Corral, which I've spoken about. There's Desmond Ritter, there's uh, Malik Willis in Atlanta and Tennessee, respectively. Two quarterbacks that, because of the media hype, were told that they were going to be first-round draft picks, second-round draft picks. It obviously ended up not working out that way. And because of that, they start to, them and their agents get together and start thinking about their value. Well, you know, if you're a fourth-round pick or a third-round pick, but you're really a first-round talent. And that's where the discussion is. That's why these quarterbacks aren't signed yet. And you're looking at Matt Corral, who was probably unlikely to start his first season. Sam Darnold was figured to get an opportunity to play the majority of the snaps. P.J. Walker's still in the mix. And obviously now with Baker there, uh, there's probably a 0% chance that Matt Corral really gets any work this year. Now you never know. Maybe the Panthers work out a trade or engineer a trade or two. You don't trade for Baker Mayfield to throw him on your bench. He's probably going to get the best chance to start. But Sam Darnold's there too. Sam Darnold's got the rapport with Robbie Anderson. And you know Robbie Anderson wants Darnold to be his quarterback. It's going to be an interesting thing to see what happens in Carolina. But uh, one thing that isn't going to happen is Matt Corral probably isn't going to receive any snaps. Maybe you'll see him in training camp. Maybe you'll see him in uh, a couple preseason games. That's assuming he's signed. You know, Desmond Ritter, who's in Atlanta right now, is losing valuable opportunity. Think about the coach and the quarterback rapport that Arthur Smith has with Marcus Mariota. They work together in Tennessee. They, they understand each other. That's the reason that Mariota is there. That's probably the reason that they were okay with trading Matt Ryan because Arthur Smith believed that much in Marcus Mariota. So if you're Desmond Ritter and you want to impress, you want to maybe take a couple snaps, you want to um, gel with the first team offense and maybe get in a position where you could take over as that starting quarterback sooner rather than later, you're better off being in minicamp, being at OTAs, being involved in the Atlanta Falcons offense right now. And he's not. And the same thing you could say about Malik Willis with the Tennessee Titans. Now, Willis was going to be a, a little bit of a tough opportunity to play. Ryan Tannehill is kind of entrenched there as their starting quarterback. You know, Tannehill made a little bit of news when he, he said, hey, I'm not here to train my replacement. 
And I've spoken about that before. It has existed in the NFL forever. You know, Joe Montana was not going to train Steve Young to take over for him. Same thing with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, all, all the different uh, quarterback combinations you can name. At some point, the onus is on the team to have a succession plan in place for their next quarterback after their star quarterback is no longer there. Now, t- Tennessee Titans, Ryan Tannehill, you know, I'm not talking about a superstar quarterback. Talk about an adequate quarterback that for a couple of years played well. Didn't really play well at the end of last year. And I thought, my, my perspective, was that somebody could be in the mix to challenge him a little bit. Not, not to take his job, but to have another person there in the mix that can play the position in case Tannehill struggles. And most importantly, if Tannehill gets hurt. Logan Whiteside isn't cutting it. If Ryan Tannehill, you know, God forbid, gets a serious injury and has to miss significant time. I love the drafting of Malik Willis. I think it was a great move for the Titans. The question is, Malik Willis, similar to Desmond Ritter, similar to Matt Corral, are have been brainwashed to believe that they're a first-round talent because of the lack of depth when it comes to quarterbacks in the National Football League. It's obvious this past draft in the NFL from college quarterbacks was not strong. You're not talking about elite franchise leaders. But there's always that thought, hey, maybe if this works out, maybe if this guy does this. It's like that uh, that bad boy that the girl chooses to date. He said, hey, you know, appearance, you know, he looks good, uh, will make me look good being next to him, but he's a bad dude. Maybe I could change him and make him a good dude. If I can make him a good dude, then I have everything. That's what these teams are thinking about when they're looking at these low-rated quarterbacks, quarterbacks that can play in college, maybe can play in the USFL or the, uh, the XFL. Maybe if they get some work, you could see them develop a little more, and the dream is that they could turn him into something that maybe they weren't before. Maybe run an offense similar to the way they ran in college and be successful. It starts by getting into camp. It starts by going to OTAs, being in mini camp, playing preseason games. And these three quarterbacks are in a tough position that basically is drawn by their agents. Their agents are telling them that they're worth more than they really are at this point. You take your slot deal of whatever the average amount of money for the spot that you're picked in, and you go out there and prove yourself. It's not going to be about the rookie contract for these quarterbacks. The same thing with Kenny Pickett, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's not going to be about his first quarter, first contract. It's going to be about that second contract. Once you uh, put yourself in a Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes echelon, that next contract where you're taking whatever, a third or 40% of your team's entire payroll, that's the one you earn. You earn it right now. It shouldn't really matter how much money you make. And you know what? If you were that valuable, as valuable as you think you are, you would have been picked in the first round. You're not. So I think it's a bad job by all three of these quarterbacks for not being signed at this moment. The quicker they get into camp, the better opportunity they have not only to help their team and maybe be in the mix if there's a path for them to start 
when this season starts or sometime during or the, the 2022 football season. But most importantly, to get themselves accustomed with pro football, running a football offense, and thinking about where they're going to be when their next contract comes up in four or five years. You, know, you got Baker Mayfield, like I said, was entrenched as the starter for the Cleveland Browns up until the last play last year. They picked up his fifth-year option. The expectation was that he was going to come back. They went out there. They got Deshaun Watson. They got Jacoby Brissett. Now Baker's on his way to Carolina, competing with Sam Darnold, who, by the way, you got the first and third picks in that draft. How about they go out there and sign Josh Rosen, just for the hell of it? It'd be nice to have the one, three, and ten picks in the first round of of, the, of that draft, all in the same quarterback room. Last thing I wanted to touch up on today: you, you hear the probability that Kevin Durant's going to get traded. He asked to be out of Brooklyn. So you put that together. You see him wearing a different uniform when this next season comes up. Uh, you start to try to get to the roots of it, of why. There's only one reason. Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving single-handedly destroyed that Brooklyn Nets team. A team that at one point had James Harden as well. Kyrie was clearly the reason that James Harden asked to be out and is now playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. Kyrie is absolutely the reason that Kevin Durant is asked to be traded. Now the expectation is that Kyrie is on his way out too. Brooklyn picked up his option instead of giving him a, a super max or a max deal. So Irving's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. KD, you know, is extended. He's going to be at least under contract long term. Kyrie wants to play for the Lakers, apparently. The Lakers seem to be the only team kind of prying to try to make a trade there. And you heard me a couple weeks ago talking about how uh, you know, the Lakers use that Yankee type of mentality, the brand of what it's like to play in Los Angeles and be a Los Angeles Laker. To be able to take liberties and do things other teams are not able to do. The Lakers are pretty strapped when it comes to being right up against the, the, the salary cap in the National Basketball Association. And normally, most teams would be kind of stuck either having to trade from their players that they have or just run the roster out that they have and uh, suck it up for a season. Now, obviously, you know the matchups that need to be done to constitute a trade. Certainly, salary uh, related. Yeah, you know, if you're talking about Russell Westbrook and Kyrie Irving, you match their two salaries against each other, and maybe throw in a Joe Harris or a Seth Curry to make it balance out, or you involve a third team, a team like the San Antonio Spurs, to uh, absorb. A considerable amount of uh, contract, let's say, take on Russell Westbrook. Now, what I don't like about that is, that, you know, you think of John Wall, a guy that wanted to play for the Houston Rockets because of his contract and because the Rockets had no interest in competing or winning. He didn't play basketball last year. And that's not John Wall's fault. That's the Houston Rockets' fault. Russell Westbrook, to me, doesn't seem like somebody that's going to 
just sit on a bench and not play. And then there's also Greg Popovich, who, at least my impression as the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, is probably not going to take a player on for that type of salary and not play him. So if Westbrook ends up in, jeez, uh, San Antonio, and San Antonio obviously a once-proud franchise, five-time NBA champions, they got the coach, the whole thing. You know, can you imagine Russell Westbrook playing in San Antonio during a rebuild? I mean, they just traded uh, DeJounte Murray to uh, the Atlanta Hawks. This team doesn't expect to be competing right now. It kind of reminds me of OKC of about three, four years ago when they dumped all their players off. They made the trade for Chris Paul, and then they got Chris Paul out of there, and all of a sudden it was about the young players that were playing there. And listen, you got Greg Popovich, a great coach, that I think is going to get the most out of players. But uh, thinking about KD and Kyrie, the two of them aren't going to be back in Brooklyn next year. And if the Nets are able to execute a trade moving Kyrie out, whether it's the Lakers or somewhere else, or it's the deal I just mentioned that sends Westbrook to San Antonio, then the Nets may have a chance to convince Kevin Durant to stay. And this is what I believe. I believe that Kevin Durant, I think it's a 50-50 chance right now, even though he's made that quote-unquote trade demand. And we tend to look at that as a, a finalization, as closure, right? When somebody demands to be traded, it usually more times than not ends up with that player not being there anymore. You know, I made the case a couple last week that Baker Mayfield may end up staying in Cleveland. It didn't happen. But the fact that it didn't happen was predicated off of the timing. He needed to be traded pretty much at that moment. And it was almost after I was done recording the show, a couple days later, he was on his way to Carolina. That's because of the timing. He needs to get in there and work with that offense. He needs to understand their playbook. He needs to get himself in a position where he could be under center and run the offense of the Carolina Panthers. That wasn't going to happen if you waited till minicamp was over. It wasn't going to happen if you waited till preseason started and games were being played. Basketball, listen, I think you could wait a little while, obviously. The offseason, free agency has just started. You got a little time. Now, if you're in the Nets, you're certainly looking to get a mammoth haul when it comes to Kevin Durant. And I think there's a lot of teams out there that said, hey, I would love to have Kevin Durant on my team. And they start thinking about their spare parts that they could, you know, get rid of, adding up salaries to equal what Kevin Durant makes and trying to make it easy to, to make a deal. Hey, the salaries match. We'll throw in a couple draft picks that you got to trade. The sense I get is the Nets aren't looking to do it that way. Nets are looking to compete. They made a couple aggressive moves this offseason. They've added a couple quality players. I think they're looking to build on what they did last year. Obviously, it's going to look a little different. Ben Simmons is going to be playing for them. Kyrie, to me, I'd be shocked if he was playing for the Brooklyn Nets this year. Now, if they work out a better deal, maybe they get a better return for KD than they expect. They pull the trigger on that trade, and maybe that leaves Kyrie still playing for the Brooklyn Nets this next year. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I think the best-case scenario at this point is Kyrie and the Lakers working out a deal. 
where he's playing for the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Russell Westbrook is playing somewhere else. I don't think he's going to be in Brooklyn. Maybe it's San Antonio. Maybe it's a fourth team. Maybe there's another team involved that absorbs the contract of Russell Westbrook. And the Nets end up looking a little bit better. And they present the team to Kevin Durant and say, hey, is this a team you feel like you could lead? Now you got the other element when it comes to Kevin Durant is the fact that he played his absolute best when he was playing for the Golden State Warriors. When he had Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, when he joined an elite team as opposed to playing for uh, a team where he was the unequivocal number one. Now that may be what he's seeking. He may want to go to a place that has another big-time star. Kyrie and him, at least on paper, seemed like a good deal. You know, Kyrie lost his mind. Kyrie decided that he was going to stand up for everybody he claims he's standing up for and not get vaccinated. And to me, this show's never going to be about issues like that. But it came to a point where it hurt the Brooklyn Nets team. It kept kept them in a position where they weren't able to uh, fulfill their goals. And they were an easy first round out in the playoffs. Part of it maybe was a lack of continuity. Part of it was certainly making a trade and dealing James Harden and getting back Ben Simmons, another guy that wasn't going to play. The Brooklyn Nets are expecting to look different this year. Is it best for Kevin Durant that he plays with another star? Maybe. But I've always thought about what would a team look like if it was centered around Kevin Durant. And you can make the case that that's not what he wants. And I probably understand that. But I wonder. Because you talk about the top five players in the NBA and you're certainly not going to name five players that aren't Kevin Durant when you're naming the best players in the NBA. And this is a player that maybe has not shown his ultimate leadership skills. The last handful of seasons with the Brooklyn Nets is not a positive notch on Kevin Durant's belt. He had an OKC team that had him and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They got to an NBA Finals but never won a championship together. Obviously, he goes to Golden State and he wins two chips and now ends up with the Brooklyn Nets, a team that he was supposed to team with Kyrie Irving to win with. And because of Kyrie Irving, that doesn't happen. It's easy to blame Kyrie Irving. At some point, Kevin Durant's got to look up at the mantle and see how many championships he's got, look back at his career, and say, how much of a success was it? And maybe it's the best time for him to move on, team up with somebody else, and go out there and win an NBA championship. Go team with Jimmy Butler and win a championship with the Miami Heat. Go team with Chris Paul, which I'd like to see happen. I'd love to see Chris Paul win an NBA championship with the Phoenix Suns. Maybe that's the best for Kevin Durant. But... If they move Kyrie and they put themselves in a position where they're competitive, man, there's got to be a little alpha male in Kevin Durant and says, maybe I could run this shit myself. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you probably. I'll try to do an afternoon show next week. 
um, as I try to get my hoarseness of my voice away. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.